Is it hard to find places that are not polluted with human-made sounds? Very much so, yes. Because sound travels so well, that um, it, it, it's essentially where, wherever there's um, a ship within a few hundred kilometers, you're going to have some residue of that ship. Okay, well, welcome everybody to this week's The Sea Has Many Voices. I'm Greg Stone, and I've got two fantastic guests this week. I've got uh, my good friend John Powell, a very accomplished musician and uh, movie soundtrack composer. And then um, Simone Bauman-Pickering, which I've been lobbying to get for about the last year, ever since uh, I start the concept for this podcast came up. And she's a uh, Scripps Institute of Oceanography, one of the great uh, pillars in the field, uh, I have to say, though, I'm on the board of the Woods Hole Oceanographic uh. Institution, so I'm a little bit torn here. But, but you two are like the, 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 the two top, top tiers. And we're going to talk about sound. Simone is uh, an expert in underwater sound, and John is an expert in music and sound and communication. And we are going to learn about what happens un underwater naturally and also, very importantly, what happens unnaturally, sound pollution. Now, you've got me so charged up about sound pollution uh, from doing the research ahead of time that I didn't know it was this bad. And I want to start off with a little sound. Will you play that piece we queued up there, John? Well, the pogo fish. Yeah, the pogo fish, yeah. Okay. All right, there's a little taste. Now, before we get going here, one thing I'd like our audience, our listeners, watchers, however you're acquiring this podcast, to know is that sound is fundamentally different underwater. Water transmits sound faster, and it also transmits it in a more uh, qualita fully qualitative way. Uh, and Simone, please help me out here with this. But I know the speed of transmission is a lot faster. And then I would say that the, uh, the, the, the quality of it, the more information is there. And therefore, uh, it's not surprising that uh, almost every, if not all, oceanic animals are sensitive to sound. Mm -hmm. And many, many of them use it in fundamental ways. And that is something that we humans have to keep in mind as we continue to continue our occupation of the planet, our dominance of the planet. I think... Um, when you when you when you think of it, if you go in the water with your goggles on, you don't see very far, right? Light goes away super quickly, and then I guess for communication, you could chemical senses, but that also only transmits over shorter distances. Whereas uh, acoustic, they travel sometimes over hundreds of kilometers from a, a source to a receiver, and so yes, that's. That's the key way of communicating underwater. Yeah, you know, when I, I used to work for the U.S. government, and my last assignment before I left, I was at a top-secret clearance, and I was looking at the U.S. military assets that could be used for research. And we did an experiment where the U.S. had these hydrophones in the Atlantic Ocean. The whole Atlantic Ocean used to be acoustically transparent to the U.S. military so they could track Russian submarines. I wanted to find out how far... A sound could be heard in in the deep ocean sound channel. What's it called? The deep is a term for it. It's between the bottom of the ocean and a thermocline. It's a forms a yeah, tunnel. It's a sound channel. It's a sound mm -hmm. channel. And they recorded a uh, a balanoptered whale, probably a finback whale, 
off the coast of Nova Scotia on a hydrophone in the Bahamas. So the, the ocean, as you just really well, well pointed out, doesn't lend itself very well to visual or chemical sensing. So nature in the, the amazing way evolution works has expanded its capability into acoustics. And, and it's really, you have to think about it a completely different way. Like, you know, we look around this room that we're in and I see John and I see you, I see the, the shape of it and all that. And for an animal like a dolphin that can echolocate, which is just measuring the echo of their sound off the walls, they can determine the structure of the room, but they can also determine the, the integrity of the material of the room. Not, not just what it looks like, but what it's made of. Right. So it's a, it's a very, very important, you know, delicate system underwater. And we just heard a fish making a noise. Do you have any idea why the fish was making that noise? Or is that a... Well, for one, we have no idea what fish was making the noise. So that's a mystery. And there's lots of those kinds of mystery sounds still out there when you stick a hydrophone in the water and listen. But more often than not, the fish usually have um, sound produced to attract a mate or to defend a territory. So those are kind of the main goals in communication for fish. Give John and I a sense of how you do your work. Like, what's a day in the life of your field research? You just mentioned something about sticking a hydrophone uh -huh. away. So how do you... Well, so um, what, what I do is we have these big recorders that we sit on the bottom of the ocean more often than not, in, in deep waters, 1,000 meters deep, and it sits there for months or even a year, especially when it's in remote places where you don't go often. And then we collect that data and it records everything. It records from the very low-frequency baleen whale all the way to the very high-frequency echolocation that you mentioned. Um, and, and so we collect the data, and then we take it's, it's being converted into digital data, and then we stick it in a computer, and that's where most of our work then actually happens. At the, at the desk, um, analyzing what happened throughout the year acoustically. And, and usually we try to understand um, the ecology that way. So we try to understand who was there under certain conditions, for how long, who did they interact with, um, was it different last year than this year? Why was it different last year? Was there maybe warmer waters and different community? And, and then um, what kind of external influences happened to change the behavior of, of a certain species this time around in comparison to last time? So you, you put these on the bottom of the ocean. How deep do you, what's your deepest deployment? The deepest deployment is probably 4,000, 5,000 meters deep. Wow. Okay. Does, can I, does, yeah. the, does the pressure at different depths mm -hmm. um, make the sound travel differently? or <clears throat> The sound travels slightly differently, so you would have to, uh, in your analysis, account for that. Right. Yeah. But it's largely more to, not so much the pressure, but more um, temperature yeah. and salinity. Water, water's the interesting quality of water is it's incompressible. Right. So you're yeah. going to have the same density at depth as you do at the surface. So really more. But the sound speed changes with, with the chemical properties of the water. I see. The difference in the amount of salt in it? As well. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So have you done recordings in freshwater? I personally have not, no. 
Why does sound travel faster in water? I can't figure that out. It it's the it's the molecules because you have it's ultimately it's molecules that transmit the pressure from one molecule to the next, and so they're sitting closer oh. together, and so that can thank move you. Faster. That's such a clear. You're a good teacher. Yeah. <laughs> they should tenure, tenure you right now right, down there at Scripps. Um, okay, so these are various steps, and uh, and you've got long-term uh, recording ability, and you're, you you basically described kind of the natural history of mm-hmm. you're recording natural history through sound, right? Well, for, there's hardly any other way to have this kind of long-term study in a somewhat financially feasible way because you know if, if you were to go there out every day then it gets costly really quickly and so that's kind of a, a, an instrument that does a job and then later on we can have a very fine scale information what happened over the course of a year and you can go at like we said just now you can go in deep waters you can go to polar regions where you wouldn't be sticking around throughout the year right and you just leave the thing, you walk away, and you look at it after the fact. Is it hard to find places that are not polluted with human-made sounds? Very much so, yes. Because sound travels so well, that um, it, it, it's essentially where, wherever there's um, a ship within a few hundred kilometers, you're going to have some residue of that ship going by unless there are some it's all about propagation and how sound wraps around corners and you know Mm -hmm. and so there are some areas that are kind of sound shadows some of the central pacific um island areas are still um pretty quiet and then the big topic these days is really the polar region especially the arctic where um the ice is receding and so now we're allowing ship passages over the North Pole, um, the Northwest Passage, and that's now that we're introducing container ships potentially in the future through that pathway, but also um, seismic exploration for oil reserves. Yeah, I was in your background material. I was reading about that, and um, you might could you explain to our audience why. How sound and oil exploration go together mm-hmm. and give us that scenario. So, um, in order to figure out whether it's worth drilling, um, the big oil um, companies they have these seismic arrays, which is a is a towed um, system behind the ship. They have tens of little air guns, is what it's called. So it's essentially a gun that not really a gun, but it's 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 a it's a metal contraction that that emits an air bubble that implodes and emits sound into the earth and then the echo is being interpreted for whether or not it's worth drilling and so that goes on and we can listen to that yeah throw throw, throw that on it's easy to get at john so we can Um, let's hear what it sounds like when we're exploring and it's a very regular that last so this is from an air gun. That was an air gun. And so you have the impulse yep. and then the echo okay. coming back. Mm. And they used to use dynamite, right? Yeah, but I mean that is not happening anymore now. It's these big toad arrays of these 
What are some of the other really big anthropogenic or human-made sounds in the ocean besides the oil exploration? Well, I think the shipping is a major aspect that we have huge shipping lanes um, kind of connecting our you know our west coast to Asia they kind of go the Great Circle route and so all of the North Pacific gets impacted from that and then major ports obviously as well and then you have the route between um, over, across the Atlantic between Europe and the US Kind so, of going into the Gulf of, of Mexico. So uh, oil exploration is booms that give you this bounce off the bottom, Correct. and it also penetrates beneath the sediment, doesn't it? You yes. get secondary echoes off mm -hmm. of the oil reservoir. And, right, uh, and that goes on for months. So it's not, you know, it's not that they're going there for a day or two. It's, it, those are cruises. They, they mow the lawn for months. They mow the, you mow the lawn. That means you just go back go and back forth. And forth back, back, back and forth. term in oceanography, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, how loud are those, are those sounds? like in decibels, and could you tell us what that means in, in our uh, lab? Now you're quizzing me. They're, they're loud. They're really they're, they're they're loud. very loud. They're loud. <laughs> yes. So if, if one of those ships was going level. over like a dolphin or, or a sperm whale and it banged that sound off, would it have the potential it, to it, hurt the animal? Yes, it, it uh, potentially could damage the animals physically in terms of rupture of the eardrums. Mm. Alter behavior, which then has consecutive effects. Yeah. Effects, yes. So, so there's and, the but oil. one thing yeah. with with the um, seismics. It's um, been shown that it not only impacts those large animals like like um, whales and dolphins that we think of immediately, but it also um, seems to be impacting plankton. Huh? So there's been some evidence in the last couple of years or so that shows that over, I think it was, I've got my numbers it's okay. wrong, but I think it's probably several kilometers distance within the area of, of um, an, a seismic survey, plankton was destroyed. Really? Yeah. So How they does just, that work? I mean, those cells just get oh, the cells. blasted. Oh, so it's a physical... It's a physical damage of plankton and larvae and whatever not as, oh, as they Just when I thought it. it couldn't get worse. <laughs> plankton is a, a fatality of sound. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's clear. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge pressure wave. And if, if, you, if you hold pressure to a cell, it's going to burst, right? Yeah. Now, we've talked about some damaging sounds, you've described them, but the big elephant in the room in terms of what I'm aware of is the Navy uh, sounds that mm -hmm. they make. And I'm not even sure what they make them for. Could you talk about that a little bit? There's these... Do you ever heard about this, John? In the popular news, it gets reported I mean, on yeah, you see, obviously you see animals floating onto beaches and you're wondering what the hell happened to them. And then immediately you get a the Navy said it was nothing to do with us. Which, of course, is the most suspicious thing you could ever say. So I don't we didn't really, even ask you, and you said yeah. it wasn't anything to do with us. I mean, all I know is that hitting too many snare drums has made my hearing bad. So, <laughs> I mean, if they're doing some things down there, I, mean, I can't imagine what's going on to everybody's eardrums. The Navy usually has to do some procedures, such as uh, called a ramp-up procedure, where they slowly increase the sound source. The, the intensity of the source so that the animals have a chance to move away. 
Now, sometimes their response of moving away may not be in the right direction. And so they end up in a bay that is enclosed and they're basically trapped by that sound curtain, if you will. And so there's, there's that scenario where, where animals are driven to the beaches through kind of an avoidance reaction. So there's some species, um, particularly beaked whales, and they can dive down to several thousand meters of depth um, and do that on a regular basis with a record holder, I think is 3,000 meter depth. And they can stay down for usually about an hour, but they can stay down for two hours. They have been shown to just do an unhealthy swimming away and ascending too quickly. And so there is the idea, just like a diver, I don't know if anybody... Decompression diver, sickness. So that you have a decompression sickness where where you dive up too quickly and, and um, gas bubbles form in your tissue and then ultimately in your brain and then that's... So, so have these, you know, I've been tracking this my whole career, basically, this, this mysterious Navy detection. Like John said, it's for, it's always been denial. And, but I've heard recently, have have they locked this in as a causal Mm -hmm. relationship now? Yeah. And I think the Navy is done denying that they, they, they are actually really quite cooperative with us in, in, in researching how they can mitigate to reduce impact. And, and they're spending considerable amounts of money on researching that. And so um, there's, there's the question now, how can they conduct exercises safely, for example, in time periods when the animals are not present because they have migrated elsewhere, or in, um, during a certain time of day, or, or, or with different procedures, um, maybe lower amplitudes and so there's there's things that are being discussed. Okay, but the science is solid that there's a there's an effect, and it's a, in some cases it's a mortality effect on Correct. dolphins yes. and whales. Right? And so the the thing that is now being looked at more so is we actually don't know how many of these whales are around because they're very rare, and well, they're actually probably not that rare. They're just very elusive, so they're hard to study. And now we're trying to figure out how many are there in a naval area and what's their population looking like over the years. Is it stable? So is it actually not that intrusive after all? And, and if, if there was a fatality, how would the population be impacted um, by a fatality? Would it still be a sustainable um, procedure or not? Well, that's good. So that somebody's putting some science around it to yes. try to understand that, it. Very much Try so. to react to the facts and not yes. to the emotional yep. uh, Im- impact. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, you said something a minute ago that I want to kind of point out, and that is the diving behavior of these, of these beaked whales. Um, for our listeners, you've got to think about how these animals operate. They basically spend like 90-plus percent of their time underwater. Mm-hmm. And they briefly make excursions to the surface to get air. So just think about that. They're living underwater, and they occasionally come up to get oxygen. They live down there, but they come up to the surface. And, of course, the explanation for that is that it's really valuable if you can have run a high-oxygenated organism at depth, right? Because it gives them faster speed. It gives them mental acuity. There's all these advantages to having oxygen 
uh, at that depth. So it's, a, it's one of these fascinating twists in evolution. Mm. It also allows them to dive into anoxic zones uh, where fish, uh, other animals can't go. So, I mean, I first became aware of that uh, uh, studying uh, elephant seals, and they're also masters of, mm-hmm. of this kind of behavior. Right. Where they, they're like, oh, did I, I live down here 2,000 meters? Oh, oh, I think I'll take a quick shot to the surface, get a little more air, and then they go, and then they come back. The, the ocean is, transmits sound. It's important to animals, and you've got different categories of sound. You've got this shipping sounds, which are I would call that kind of like almost like white noise. Would you call it like the white noise of the ocean? Yeah. It's generally kind of... It sounds very... Yeah, let's hear some shipping sounds. You know, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know this sounds so well. This always scares the shit out of me, too, when I'm diving, because you hear that it's a propeller. Mm. But that's when you're close. But so some of all the ships would be probably more considered a white noise than, yes, an elevation of that. This is a problem for whales, too, because there's so much noise out there now that they've become habituated to the noises. They don't, like in the early days, when they'd hear that noise, they'd go, oh, wow, God, what's that? And they'd be on their toes. But now they hear it all the time. And they just get hit by the ships. And it's estimated that many hundreds, maybe a thousand whales a year are, are hit by ships because it's not that they can't hear the ship. There is a little bit of a theory that in, right in front of the boat there's a quiet area. But it's more that why be alarmed at something you hear all the time? And then you've got the more dramatic insults of sound, which are the booming from the oil exploration and then the mega ping coming from uh, military operations to detect submarines. Are there any other just high level, at this high level headline point of sound that you could tell us about? Yeah, there's one other. There's a a practice in fishery off the coast here of California and up into Oregon, Washington too, where they use these little um, firecrackers, they're called seal bombs, and they're being thrown into the water to scare seals away from nets. Usually they're being um, thrown in at nighttime, and um, it looks like it's largely the squid fishery here that uh, has that practice. Over the course of a night, you can hear hundreds of those explosions. And then it goes on every night for months, as long as the fishery is open. And I've brought an example of that. That's a firecracker? I mean, the, the seal deterrent yeah. bombs? Huh. But you can hear the, the whale song right in the background. Yeah. That's really interesting. Where was that film uh, recorded? Okay. We're going to take a break now, but I want to thank you for this nice overview. We're going to come back in the next segment. I want to talk more about the, it's more of the natural history questions. Um, but thank you, Simone and John, for the CS Many Voices. <laughs> 